You're listening to the Terry and Jesse Show. My name is uh, Jesse Romero, the Latin lover of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, the Latin lover of Our Lady. And I'm Terry Barber, the Lebanese lover of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and the Lebanese lover of Our Lady on this great feast of the Assumption. Jess, I'm glad to be here on board. Yes, uh, if you can get to Holy Mass today, that would be fantastic. Absolutely. Uh, this is uh, one of the one of the great Marian feast days in the Catholic Church. And uh, again, remember that uh, we as Catholics believe that we're waiting for the great triumph of the Blessed Virgin Mary. How and when that's going to play out, we don't know, but we have to be ready. How do you how do you prepare for that? living in a state of grace. Terry. It's pretty simple, Jess. Hey, we got a great show ahead of us, folks. This topic really touches my heart. It's what's the point of working anymore? The Acton Institute, great mm. organization. You know, what? whatever the reasons behind the great resignation, a Generation Z must be kept in mind. So it's going to be interesting about young people and work, and they've lost it. How did they lose it? Number two, we're going to talk about great topic. The, the exodus from public schools. I mean, tens and tens of thousands of students are leaving for a good reason. We're going to talk about that. And then we'll follow up at the end of the show. We always like to raise you up. St. Don Bosco, seven saintly tips on how to discipline a child from a great saint who dealt much with especially young adults and children. That's right. And Jesse, I just want to tell the folks, you know, they, people ask me, Terry, what do you do on when, when you, you, know, you guys have your radio show on weekends? I said, I know Jesse's always running around. Uh, yeah, you know, going, all over I'm the going country. to Waco, Texas tomorrow. Yeah, for you see, there weekend. you go. That's what I was bringing up. I said, well, yesterday, you know, Saturday I had three funerals, um, ministered to a bunch of people. I had a Protestant uh, schoolmaster. Uh, I had breakfast with him, and I gave him the catechism of the Catholic Church, and I meet with him, and he's like blown away that the Catholic Church has such beautiful teachings in a one one book. And so it's like every weekend, for me, as Jess knows, I, I do 20, 30, 40 funerals <laughs> a month. So 1,500 people I get to talk to about, you know, virgin most powerful, about the most important thing about life. And so all you new people who are coming from from the cards that we hand out from the funerals, we welcome you. Um, this weekend, Jesse Anthony went into downtown L.A. at the cathedral and handed out hundreds of Virgin Most Powerful downloadable cards with free Bishop Sheen downloads of the Fulton Sheen Priest Retreat to get new listeners. And he said to Jess, oh, yeah, they, they were wondering. Jesse didn't know this until I tell him. Yeah, we were wondering where Jesse Romero went. So, wow. You see, these are Hispanic people downtown L.A. They heard about you from years ago. We, we want So welcome on board, those folks who are just coming on. Jesse is not resurrected. He just has been off your network, and he's got his own network called Virgin Most Powerful Radio. That's Thank you right. so much, folks. Hey, got a couple of news items, Terry. Yes, then we'll get, to the, we'll get to the yeah. soul, some soul food. You got it. The, the, the report is that the raid was over documents on nukes. Oh, I know. That's so fitting. Yeah, so the report so from the Washington funny. Post claims that the federal law enforcement, the FBI, who's basically, they're just the uh, the military arm of the Democrat Party right now, the FBI officials were searching for top-secret documents on nuclear weapons when the FBI raided Trump's Florida home. So that's, that's a story now, Terry. Next story. Yeah. The raid boosts GOP voter enthusiasm. <laughs> Most Americans say the FBI's Trump raid motivates them to vote in the midterm election. 
according to a new convention of states action, a 70.4% majority of all voters said the raid will increase their motivation to vote. Over half of Democrats, 55.2% said that it will increase their motivation to vote. But an even greater number of Republicans, 83.3%, said it will motivate them to, to head to the polls in November, Breitbart reported. Another news item. Ad campaign slams Merrick Garland, and rightfully so. The Conservative Judicial Crisis Network has released a new ad targeting Attorney General Merrick Garland as part of a massive $10 million campaign that accuses Democrats of endangering the lives of Supreme Court justices. The ad comes after numerous groups have threatened pro-life justices and one gunman was arrested and charged with attempting to assassinate Justice Brett Kavanaugh. Merrick Garland should uphold the rule of law, protect his former colleagues and the court. That's what the ad says. Instead, Merrick Garland is cowering to the woke mob. And finally, Como confronts the Biden administration. Yep. Former New York governor Andrew Como. A Democrat spoke out against the Biden administration's use of the FBI to raid former President Donald Trump's home in Florida. The Department of Justice, Como said, must immediately explain the reason for its raid, and it must be more than a search for inconsequential archives, or it will be viewed as a political tactic and undermine any future credible investigation and legitimacy of January 6th investigations Como tweeted. Terry. Yeah, see, it's going to backfire on the, uh, the Democrats. Here's a Larry Elder tweet that I got, and I really chuckled. He says, FBI search of Donald Trump's private residence has increased the percentage of Republicans who want Trump to run to a post-presidency record high. Hmm. Sources confirm that, and this is his joke. Are you ready? Liz Cheney has reached out to the FBI and demanded a raid on her private residence as soon as possible. <laughs> you know, Jesse, I like yeah, a sense because of she's humor. tanking in the polls. She's tanking today. She's got and she's going to be out. The point of it is, is it just makes me laugh. You see how you can have a sense of humor when you're in a in a war. It helps you deal with the issues of the day. So I That's just right. say, Larry Elder, he's spot on. Let's get some soul food in our soul, Jess. You got it, Terry. Today's Gospel, Luke chapter one, verse thirty nine to fifty six. It's basically the prayer of Our Lady called the Magnificat. But it has all kinds of theology in it, and I'll try to point out some of the main things. Mm -hmm. Mary set out and traveled to the hill country in haste to a town of Judah, where she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. That's her cousin, by the way. Mm -hmm. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the infant, that's John the Baptist, leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth, filled with the Holy Spirit, cried out in a loud voice and said, Blessed are you among women. And blessed is the fruit of your womb. That's part of the Hail Mary. And how and she's and how does this happen to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For at that moment the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the infant in my womb left for joy. Blessed are you who believe that what was spoken to you by the Lord would be fulfilled. Let me just mention something that Elizabeth is claiming that Jesus Christ is God. Why does she say that? Well, you can see what she says. The Jews called God Lord or God. There's, there's synonyms in Hebrew. Mm -hmm. Yahweh and Adonai. So the Jews would call God Lord or God. So here Elizabeth says about the baby in his, her cousin's womb, Mary, 
she says, and uh, and how is it, how does this happen to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? Lord, that's Adonai, that's God. So Elizabeth is affirming that Jesus Christ is a divine person. And it says, and Mary said, my soul proclaims the greatness of the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior, for he has looked with favor on his lowly servant. That's why we, she is also called full of grace. This same passage looked on with favor. In other words, does God have favorites? Yes, his mom. From this day, all generations will call me blessed. Again, when Protestants say, Mary's no, no, nothing, she's just normal. She's like anybody else. I'll say, well, look at your Bible. It says, for this day, all generations will call me blessed. It means Protestants, Muslims, Jews, everybody, atheists, is supposed to call her blessed according to the word of God. The Almighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. He has mercy on those who fear him in every generation. So Mary was the first disciple to preach about in the New Testament about the divine mercy of God. She's the first one to do so. It's right here. Our Lady says, He has shown the strength of His arm and has scattered the proud in their conceit. He has cast down the mighty from their thrones and has lifted up the lowly. Well, I can't wait till that happens, Terry, in its fullness. <laughs> Amen, brother. When he, yeah, when He casts down the mighty <laughs> from their thrones and lifts up the lowly. Boy, oh boy, that, that, that'll be perfectly accomplished at the general judgment, by the way. Amen. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. He has come to the help of his servant Israel for he has remembered his promise of mercy. Again, second time the Blessed Mother in the Magnificat, she mentioned God's mercy. So Mary was the first person in the New Testament to preach the mercy of God, the divine mercy of God. The promise he made to our fathers, to Abraham and his children forever. What promise? The promise of mercy. The promise he, that, that, she's, that God preached to the Israelites all the way down to the children of the Israelites, which are the Roman Catholic Christians. Terry? Well, said when we come back from the break, we're going to get a real quick message from Fulton Sheen about modern atheism. You won't want to miss that. Also, I want to welcome all the young people that were at downtown Los Angeles on Saturday for a Eucharistic uh, conference. And uh, our guys were down there handing out cards. I'm, I know many of you, these young people just do it right on the spot and we want to tell you that what we have in common, we have our common goal is to get to heaven here at Virgin Most Powerful Radio. You'll always hear nothing but the church's teachings. We call it the perennial teachings of the church. We're not into a new ideas on, on what truth is. No, truth is universal. It's always been the truth. It will never change. That's what we do here at Virgin. Terry, and you're not, and you're not going to see either of us nope. wearing indigenous Indian headdresses oh, yeah, on, right. on, on the uh, radio show either. Hey, Jesse, let me throw one more thing at you. I read the popes all the time, and I know our Holy Father, Pope Francis, said, be aware of rigidity. It's a perversion. Behind rigidity, there's no Holy Spirit. Then I also read what Pope Pius XII said, behind those who accuse the Church of Christ by being rigid, there's only a perversion of false prophets who attempt against the truth of Christ himself. Yes, Pope Pius XII nailed it. I'm sorry. I didn't think of it. He said it about, I, if I'm rigid about the truth, you're absolutely right. I am because it's the truth that sets us free. Stay with us, family. Welcome back to the Terry and Jesse Show. To join the conversation, call 888-526-2151. Now, here's Terry and Jesse. Welcome back to the Terry and Jesse Show. I just want to tell people, I know we're having some issues with our app. We'll get that straight when you, uh, the, it's kind of breaking up right now for the folks. But when we put it back up tonight, 
you'll be able to hear it much better. Jess, I want to bring in Fulton Sheen, but before I bring Fulton Sheen ahead, I want to say that tomorrow when you're gone, we're going to have a priest, a Catholic priest from Nigeria, tell his story of how he escaped from Boko Haram. It's a great story, and uh, yeah, you won't want to miss it. But here's what Bishop Sheen has to say about modern atheism. And Jess, you've used this uh, logic in your books that you've written on this. Bishop Sheen said, the modern atheist does not disbelieve because of his intellect, but because of his will. It is not knowledge that makes him an atheist, but perversity. The denial of God springs from man's desire not to have a God from which that there were no justice behind the universe so that his injustices would fear no retribution. Yeah, you know, no hell. From his desire that there be no law so that he may not be judged by it. From his wish that there were no absolute goodness, that he might go on sinning with impunity. That is why modern atheists is always angered when he hears anything said about God and religion. Mm. He would be incapable of such resentment if, if God were only a myth. Yes, you've talked about that so much. Yeah, I got that quote in my book. It's on atheism, 50 questions and answers. Yep. Yeah, uh, Fulton Sheen was a master at dismantling atheist arguments. Yes, All right. Venerable Fulton Sheen, pray for us. Amen, we need him. Hey, just let's get yeah. to this next topic. What's the point of working anymore? Yeah, yeah a lot of young people, oh, uh, they call it the Gen Zs. Yes. They don't want to work, Terry. They're saying, what's the point of working anymore? Uh, Gen Z must, uh, must keep in mind that we were designed to work, to produce, and to create. That's the way God made us. Yep. So... Uh, is there any value in working in today's world? Well, this is the question that many Gen Zers find themselves asking. So the author of this article is a young person, Andrew Leston. Yep. The article is called The Great Resignation. He says, I started working at a very young age, by 12 years old. I already had two part-time jobs, plus a side business at my, of my own. At age 11, I started mowing lawns and doing odd jobs for neighbors. A year later, I was working for a catering company, then a landscaping company, and finally bought my own riding, law, riding lawnmower and trimmer for a side business. A year later, I sold my equipment when I became interested in woodworking. I used the money from the sale to buy tools and lumber and began making and selling furniture. Through social media and local connections, I've been able to find some small success through I've been able to find some small success through, throughout high school as a custom woodworker. I always loved this kind of hands-on work. Of course, there were days I didn't want to go out in the heat and mow lawns or stand in front of 300-degree grills for uh, grills for hours. But at the end of the day, the satisfaction of work and the reward of a paycheck were more than enough to keep me going. So this young man understands the dignity yes, of work, Terry. You bet. Jesse, let me just add something to this. This is so. This was how most kids were brought up in, my, in our generation, Jesse. Yeah. Dad said, hey, hey, there's no free lunches. Get to work. You're gonna get. You know, this is how you. This is get used to it because this is life. Now, fast forward to today. He says there's an overwhelming message from social media, and the news that when it comes to work, current systems set you up for failure. For the past two years, a trend has been building to quit jobs. That's true. Encouragement in this direction has gone viral, and in its 276.5 million views. I mean, many in the media are calling this the great. Resignation. In the words of Glenn Beck, the radio host, the great resignation is ultimately a crisis of freedom, identity, and exhaustion. 
it is, as noted in a recent Gallup report, an expression of a great disconnect. You got it. Generation Z feels like they have nothing to lose and nothing to gain. Boy, what a terrible attitude that is. My generation has been left with this question. When the system is designed for ultimate failure, why play the game? Especially when they're going to give you money for not working. Continue, Jess. Yeah, Terry, and, the, and their social media, it's called, it's called hashtag quit my job. Hashtag <laughs> quit crazy. my job. They've set up a, a, a social media for Gen Zers that don't want to work. In the State of the Global Workplace 2021 report put out by Gallup, the researchers found that only 21% of employees in the U.S. and Canada are engaged in their work, which is to say only 21% of employees find their work to be meaningful and a benefit to their overall well-being. This high level of disengagement is a major contributor to the great resignation. Mm-hmm. As people lose sight of the value of their work, they begin to look elsewhere for both satisfaction and a means of generating income. Not unrelated to this trend, from the time I was born, writes the author. Check this out, though. This is important. These numbers. In, in the early 2000s, yep. the welfare state in America has grown from $20.8 billion in outlays to $1.75 oh trillion. That's unbelievable. A world without a vast welfare state is foreign to Gen C. Yeah, they grew up Zen- Yep, in the past few years, we've seen stimulus checks and various social relief programs that have opened up even more avenues of receiving unearned income. Is it unfair to think that this contributes to the devaluation of work? When there are so many ways to get money for free, why would you work for it, especially in in, in jobs deemed menial, demoralizing, or dead ends? As Teddy Roosevelt said in 1903, quote, far and away the best prize... (laughs) That life offers are the chance to work hard at work at at, at work worth doing. Close yep. quote. Earn money was the key for me, says this young writer, learning from a young age that you have to work for your income. Not only that you have to work, but that it's that it's inherently good to work. While the message on social media and elsewhere has been that the workplace is toxic, and the system is rigged against personal growth and well-being, this mantra is extremely harmful, especially to my generation. And should be resisted. Mm. As we begin our careers, we should not only expect hard and yes, even menial work, but strive for it. <clears throat> and if, if we see a problem in the workplace that makes fulfilling our responsibilities unnecessarily difficult, we should work to fix it, not run from Amen. it. Amen. Uh, this is what we were designed to do to work, to create, to innovate, and most of all, to glorify God through the benefiting our neighbor. Coworker. That's why St. Paul says, if you don't work, you don't eat, Jesse. See, this was built in from Genesis. This is part of what God designed. It's the design aspect that I believe is missing in the thinking of so many in his generation. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him male and female. He created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over every living thing that moves on the earth. Right from Genesis chapter 1, humans were created to work. I, oh, you're kidding now. Really? Yes, not to get free checks forever. To have dominion over the earth, being made in the image of God. It is our nature to work and to produce, not merely take. And see, that's why we're screwed up in our culture right now. we got too many uh, cum-cums and not enough go-go's. Hmm. Yeah. You know, Terry, Pope John Paul II, he talked about the dignity of work. He did. 
He did. Uh, there, and he wrote a document called Laborum Exercens. Yep. Paragraph 9, here's what he says, St. John Paul II. Work is not only good in the sense that it is useful or something to enjoy, it is also good as being something worthy, that is to say, something that corresponds to man's dignity, that expresses this dignity and increases it. Work is a good thing for man, a good thing for his humanity, because through work, man not only tr- transforms nature, adapting it to its own needs, but he also achieves fulfillment as a human being and indeed, in a sense, becomes more a human being. Yep. The Christian finds in human work a small part of the cross of Christ Amen. and accepts it in the same spirit of redemption in which Christ accepted his cross for us. In work, thanks to the light that penetrates us from the resurrection of Christ, we always find a glimmer of new life, of the new good, as if it were an, an, an announcement of the new heavens and the new earth in which man and the world participate precisely through the toil that goes with work. Close quote. And I will also mention that that work is the opposite of sloth. Sloth is one of the seven deadly sins mentioned in the Bible that sends you to hell. The, the seven deadly mortal sins of the Old Testament in Proverbs chapter 6, verse 16. The uh, opposite of sloth, it would be work. And St. Paul was so, uh, you know, uh, he, he, he chided, he scolded the Thessalonians because they said, hey, we don't have to work. The second coming of Christ is right around the corner, man. Just drop your shovels, drop your picks, just kind of sit down, lounge around under the tree, and let's just wait for Jesus to come. That was their attitude. They thought the second coming of Christ was going to be seconds, you know, minutes away. And so St. Paul wrote to them in 2 Thessalonians 3, 10 to 11, quote, for even when we were with you, we gave you this command. If anyone will not work, let him not eat. For we hear that some of you are living in idleness, mere busybodies, and not doing any work. And by the way, also the great bishop of Crete, Timothy, in 1 Timothy 5.8, he says, If anyone does not provide for his relatives, and especially for his own family, he has disowned the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Terry? Yes, I want to make it personal the last minute or two. You and I grew up middle class, you know, where uh, where we had to go out and get it. You know, nobody bought your car for you. I know that, Jesse. Nope. And for me, I had my newspaper route. I was mowing lawns. I did all that. I saved my money and paid, you know, $500 for a piece of, you know, a 1966 Falcon sports coupe. Okay, why? Beca- but I had honor in that because I earned it, and there was a, a great dignity in me working for my own ethic. And I just passed that on to my other kids. And I'm just saying that that's not being passed on. Jess, when you were a child, did did, did Daddy and Mommy buy your first car? <laughs> yeah, Come on. right. No way, right? <laughs> He's laughing. Yet. How did you pay for your first car, Jess? Uh, I started working at the age of 13. See? Um, there you go. Uh, and I haven't stopped since. I'm yeah. 61. I haven't stopped working. And I, I think I purchased my first car at the age of 17. So it took me four years of part-time work. I think I... I uh, saved up four thousand dollars. Wow, that was a lot of money back. Uh, yeah, yeah, back then. And by the way, uh, I remember I would make forty dollars a week at thirteen. I'd give, <laughs> I'd get, I'd get home yeah. on Sundays. I'd give twenty dollars to my mom and dad, and I'd keep twenty dollars for me. Wow, and, w- and with that, I still uh, saved four thousand dollars in four years and bought my first car. See, but that was the work ethic we we were yeah. brought up with. You see, now today they're going to go on YouTube and watch the videos all day and not have to work. The aspect of this article points out that giving people something for nothing is really a bad idea. And if we look at the entitlements that over 50% of the Americans are getting, it's ruining our country. 
that's my take on this. So he says, in his, in his, as my, my generation moves into the workforce, we must not forget that we were designed to work, like Jesse just said, the Pope said, not to live off of others, and that the work is not always going to be the most fulfilling or creative. Have I ever had a job where I didn't like? Of course we did. It's part of life. We don't live in a paradise down here, Jess, as you know, yeah. where our dreams are handed on as an entitlement. Now, if the great resignation is in fact a signal that a reborn entrepreneurial spirit has been let loose in the culture, I'm all for it. But if it's not about merely wanting to be my own boss in an effort to avoid dysfunction, well, many will find that. Jess, this article will be on our website and on yours, jesseromero.com. This is something to share with your next generation kids. Yeah. Yes, when we come back, what do we got going? Yeah, we're going to talk about the, the exodus from public schools. Oh, boy, that's a good thing to have. Yeah. Our schools are terrible. That's why we are one of our advertisers here on Virgin Most Powerful. Get your kids to go there. Stay with us, family. Welcome back to the Terry and Jesse Show. To join the conversation, call 888-526-2151. Now, here's Terry and Jesse. Our Lady, <laughs> today's the feast day of Our Lady of the Assumption. Amen. Pray for uh, us. Jesse, before we go on, I'm getting inundated with stories of listeners texting me about their first job when they started, similar to mm. you. Mm. He bought a, a, his first car was a Chrysler Cordoba for $3,500. It took him six years to save the money. Wow. <laughs> so it just goes to show you the, you know, that this is so necessary to give our young people a good work ethic. And it's a, it's a biblical worldview, basically, Jess. Yeah, it is, because uh, in the book of Genesis, yeah. God made man uh, to work uh, and, and earn his money by the sweat of his brow. Yep. And that's one of the ways that we find dignity yep. until, we, uh, uh, that, until we enter the new Jerusalem, Amen. where we will enter into the perpetual Sabbath rest. That's what Sabbath means, rest. You, you know, Jesse, life is pretty simple. You know, sometimes we try to overcomplicate the life. We, we keep yeah. it simple. It's a world biblical view. That's the view we have. Yeah. Go ahead. Yeah, we're meant to work here, uh, and, and, and as we do so, no love and serve God in this lifetime in the midst of our, our, our state in life. Uh, and uh, when we die, die in a state of grace, so we can spend all eternity with God in the next. But uh, once again, we, we can't, you know, there's a story about the talents, Terry. Yes. Uh, if you bury your talents that God has given you, uh, that will disqualify you from salvation, according to the Lord Jesus Christ. That's biblical teaching. Yep, you got it. Yeah. So, okay, so the exodus from public schools. Oh, Tell Thomas. He's a, a syndicated columnist and author and broadcaster. He's written many books. He's a good conservative writer. Mm -hmm. He says, with the proliferation of private schools, more readily available sources for homeschooling and school choice in growing numbers of states, more parents are withdrawing their children from public schools. So as parents prepare to send their children back to school, many will have made decisions about their child's education that will not only put them on a different trajectory, mm -hmm. but also impact the public, public education system, which is being used in too many districts to indoctrinate more than educate. And Terry, there's been movies about this, God is not dead one, God is not dead two. That's right. Um, expelled, no intelligence allowed. So there's been a lot of movies that have showed the indoctrination, especially in colleges. Yes. Stories about drag queens in kindergarten, oh. forcing students to use preferred pronouns, biological boys who say they are transgender using locker rooms and showers once reserved for girls, along with the pandemic, which convinced growing numbers of parents that homeschooling worked better. 
All of these are prompting an exodus of parents and now teachers from public schools. In fact, the New York Times recently chronicled the trend, quote, In New York City, the nation's largest school district has lost some 50,000 students over the past two years. In Michigan, enrollment remains more than 50,000 below pre-pandemic levels from the big cities to the upper rural peninsula. In the suburbs of Orange County, California, uh, where families have moved for generations to be part of the public school system, enrollment slid for the second consecutive year. Statewide, more than a quarter million public school students have dropped from California's roles since 2019. Let me jump in and say something that many probably wouldn't realize, but the schools only get funding when a student shows up for class. We call it like heads in beds in the uh, in the uh, rest, you know, in the hotel business. Well, you have to have a student show up. So those fifty thousand students that aren't showing up, the school is losing a lot of money. Now, not only are kids are abandoning public schools, but check this out, folks. Many teachers have also checked out. The Washington Post reports that the teacher shortage in America has hit a crisis level, and the school officials everywhere are scrambling to ensure that students return to the classrooms. Someone will be there to educate them. That's what they're hoping to do. Speaking about the shortage of teachers, Jess, continue, please. Dan Dominic, <laughs> yeah. executive director of the American Association of School Administrators, <clears throat> told the Washington Post, Here it comes. I've never seen it this It's bad, bad out there, I agree. The question is, what kind of classroom will public school kids return to? Will it be like classrooms in Portland, Oregon, where children as young as five will be taught transgender ideology, sexual orientation, and, and, and uh, reports the Washington Times, the role of white colonizers in marginalizing LGBTQ people. Darla Rumpho, president of the Children's Scholarship Fund, which offers scholarships to students in poorly performing inner city schools, responds to this sweeping wokeism in an email. She said this, When more than half of students can't even read proficiently and the pandemic only exacerbated this learning loss, especially for most vulnerable, for our most vulnerable students, why do schools insist on diverting time and resources in non-academic controversial subjects that are confusing at best and don't align with many family values? Great question. Parents are tired of it and rightly so. And my advice, if your school doesn't respond to your concerns, Find another school that will. There are no doers doers when it comes to your child's education. Mm -hmm. U.S. students continue to lag behind other countries in reading, math, and science. We appear to be number one in costs, though averaging 16,268 students annually, well above the global average of $10,759 annually. Parents have a right to ask the, the, the cost, if the cost equals the benefit since it's their tax dollars. With the proliferation of private schools, more readily available resources for homeschooling and school choice in growing numbers of states, more parents are withdrawing their children from public schools. The public school system, increasingly dominated by left-wing political and, soci- and social ideology, has long been in need of reform or burial. I say burial. Yeah. The, the trend seems to be headed in the burial direction like previous aging monopolies. Jess, let me jump in and say this, that that $16,268 per student in Alaska for years 
whatever the state was going to pay for a student, whether it's 12000 or 16000 they have it so that the parents have control of that money. They go, no, we're going to go to a private school. We want that money to go to XYZ school. And here in California on the ballot in November, we're also doing that. We're trying to take control of our tax money and put it where we want it rather than where the state wants it. And I think that's a good idea. Yeah, uh, Terry, and uh, good, just to show you the difference in, in, in the product of the homeschooling kids versus a public school kid. Yeah. Now, a study was done by the American Family Association. That's Don Wildman's group. He's a good in, man. Yeah. Back in 2007. Here's what yeah. he said. He said, the, uh, will your ch- the, the question was, will your children believe in Jesus when they graduate from high school? Mm-hmm. Okay, so this study was done by AFA, uh, American Family Association. They said, in, in, uh, after the, their poll, they said, homeschooled kids that were taught about Jesus before homeschooling, 94% of them continue to believe in Jesus after they graduated from homeschool. Wow. Public school kids. All of them were taught about Jesus Christ at a given point in time. By the time they graduate, only 15% of them will believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. after. Sad. And again, it's, it, it just goes back to what uh, Abraham Lincoln, the 16th president of the United States, said. He said, the philosophy of the schoolroom in one generation will be the philosophy of government in the next generation. And Vladimir Lenin, who's uh, oh, yeah. you know, the, the, the communist dictator back in 1917, <laughs> who started the Bolshevik Revolution, he said, quote, Give me four years to teach your children, and the seeds I have sown will never be uprooted. Vladimir Lenin. Perfect. Yep. Adolf Hitler said the same thing. Yep. So we got two socialists say. Adolf Hitler said, uh, quote, let me control the textbooks and I will control the state. It seems to me, Terry, like the Democrat run National oh, yeah. Education Association have taken a page from Vladimir Lenin and Adolf Hitler. Of course they have, Jesse. That's a that's a fact. And that's why we're encouraging all of our especially here in California. I, I encourage, encourage all public uh, schools. Don't go to any of them. Yeah. If you're going to get your kids to be homeschooled, if you can't homeschool them, find uh, you know schools like ours that we're advertising on our radio network here because this is the only way you can ensure that your kids aren't going to be corrupted by the corrupt world. Mm-hmm. That's it. Yeah. Well, so, what, so what's the goal of education, really? It's not indoctrination. Uh, Bill Bennett, who's a good Catholic, he was oh, yeah. the former Secretary of Education under Ronald Reagan. I, he says, quote, all real education is the architecture of the soul. One more time, because that he nailed it. Yeah. Bill Bennett, former Secretary of Education under Ronald Reagan, said, quote, all real education is the architecture of the soul. And uh, Terry, again, kids, they're just not, you know, casual guests in our home. They've been loaned to us by God temporarily. For the purpose of loving them and instilling the gospel on which their future lives should be built upon. And so, uh, as, as, especially in, as Catholics, our teaching is very clear that mom and dad are the primary teachers of the kids. 
And so what that means also, we're also the primary evangelizers and catechists of our kids. That also means that we have to make sure we know what they're being taught and what schools they're attending. And Jesse, let's give the statistics even with our Catholic schools. <clears throat> the uh, children, by the age 23, 82% of our children will not be practicing the faith. Wow. So that's a tra- that, that needs to stop. And I believe that the way it stops is the education starting in the home, but also having mom and dad decide what school are we going to send our kids to and know exactly what we're going to get and not give them, even if it's a Catholic school that's, you know, compromised, don't send them there. You're wasting your money. And you just have to research all this. They're out there, but you got to look. That would be my suggestion, Jess. That's right. And, and, uh, you know, there, there's a book, Terry, that came out years ago, I think in the 50s or 60s, called The Naked Communist. Oh, yeah, I remember. I got a copy of that. Yeah, and it tells us <clears throat> the way the communists, one of their one of their 50 goals was to uh, take control of the schools here in America. Goal number 17 of The Naked Communist, the goals of communism, get control of the public schools, use them as transmission belts for socialism and current communist propaganda, soften the curriculum, get control of the teachers' association and unions, put the party line of communism in the textbooks. When we come back, I'm just going to give a quote from Fulton Sheen when he talked about education, where to send your kids, and it's not Catholic schools. Stay with us, family. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Terry and Jesse Show. To join the conversation, call 888-526- Now, here's Terry and Jesse. Welcome back, Jess. I wanted to add Fulton Sheen to the mix on schools. You remember back in the 70s, it was questioned. This is a quote from Monsignor George Kelly, who wrote the book Battle for the American Church. He said something like this uh, when they asked Bishop Sheen, what do I do with my kids for education? He says to him that are college bound, Fulton Sheen says, well, uh, I, I would not send them to Catholic colleges. Now, wow. we didn't have the... Uh, or, this was in the 70s. Yeah, this was in the 70s, Bishop Sheen. I remember him. It's on my cassette tape. <laughs> and he says, don't send them to Catholic colleges. <clears throat> send them to uh, a secular anti-Catholic college where they have to fight for their faith. And uh, <clears throat> this was attributed from uh, a 1987 article from Crisis Magazine with Monsignor mm. George Kelly. But the point I'm saying is... She knew that the schools were weak. Jesse, we knew it when I was a kid. My friends were going to Catholic schools, and they were telling me crazy things that were going on in the 60s and 70s. Charles Cologne, who's going to be having a new radio show here at Virgin Most Powerful next month, talked about that same problem when he was going to the Archdiocese of Los Angeles schools, and liberalism was, you know, was, was corrupting the young people. So this has been going on way too long. Yeah, Terry, and uh, th- this happened, it, it was back in the 60s, I forget exactly. Oh, William Colson, you going to talk about? Yeah, he's part of it, oh. but also there was a, a thing, a, a bill called the, I think he called the Omnibus Bill. Well, I think I... Or, uh, yeah, 1965, uh, it's in my book, Knocked Off the Donkey, yeah. I just opened up the chapter. Okay. In 1965, Linda B. Johnson's Omnibus Education Act yep. Made millions of federal dollars available to Catholic colleges in exchange for their souls. Oh, yes, that's that's where we lost it, Terry. That's it, where it we was you 65. nailed it. Yes. Yep. Yeah, the Supreme Court has ruled in Grove City versus Bell that schools that receive federal funds, even indirectly through federal student loans and Pell grants, must play by government rules. So, 
This was under Cardinal Bernardine, the young Cardinal Mahoney. These people, Bishop Mahoney, <laughs> these people, Terry, they ended up uh, playing nice with, with the Democrats, and they said, "Yeah, we want federal money." And uh, and, and most, mo- yeah, most of the colleges run by the Jesuits. They just basically, uh, they just you know. Uh, they caved st- in. Yeah, they just completely caved in to, to the federal dollars. Yeah. That's it. They gave money. Well, and that's the other thing that Thomas Aquinas College has never done. Uh, there's some Protestant schools that are never Hillsdale. T- Hillsdale's a great school. So, yeah. you know, it, with, you can't take money from the federal government and expect that they're not going to ask you to compromise your faith. That's the bottom that's line. Right. Let's move on, Jess. St. John Bosco, how to discipline a kid. Yeah. He's got, he's got uh, <laughs> six, seven points, so let's, let's rip through them here. Go for it. St. John Bosco, how to, there's seven tips that St. John Bosco gave teachers that are still relevant today and can help weary parents or frustrated teachers mm-hmm. guide children to the path of virtue. Again, St. John Bosco, he devoted his entire life to forming young rebellious boys and hundreds of disadvantaged youth, educating them, exerting all of his energy toward these young boys into upright men who would later serve God and 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 the greater good of society. So the first thing that St. John Bosco prescribes, he says this, punishment should be your last resort. In my long career as an educator, how long, how how often this has been brought home to me? No doubt it is ten times easier to lose our patience than control it. To threaten a boy to persuade him, no doubt too it is much more gratifying to our pride to punish those who resist us than to bear them with firm kindness. St. Paul often lamented how some converts to the faith too easily returned to their inveterate habits. Yet he bore it all with patience, as zealous as it was admirable. This is the kind of patience we need in dealing with the young. Number two, the educator must strive to make himself loved by his pupils if he wishes to obtain their respect. When he succeeds in doing this, the omission of some token of kindness is a punishment which rekindles emulation, revived courage, and never degrades. Every educator must make himself loved. If he wished to be feared, he will attain this great end if it makes it clear by his words and still more by his actions that all of his care and solitude are directed towards the spiritual and temporal welfare of his pupils. Number three, Jess. St. John Bosco writes, Except in rare instances... Corrections and punishments should not be given in public, but privately and apart from the others. We should therefore correct them with the patience of a father, never as far as possible correct in public, but in private, or as they say, in camera caritatis, apart from the others. Only in cases of preventing or remedying serious scandal would I permit public corrections or public punishments. Number yeah, I'll just say public corrections, Terry. That part of it is used to humiliate people, oh, yeah. and that's, it, that's Jesse. Quite. Did you ever have a math teacher like I did? We get up and do the math problem on the board, and if you couldn't figure it out, he would ridicule you in front of the whole class. Yeah, yeah I've had one or two teachers like that. I did too. <laughs> yep. Mm-hmm. Number four: to strike one in any way to make him kneel in a painful position to pull. In other words, the children 
uh, need pull, to pull his ears, pull his ears, pull his ears. Oh, Sam, this isn't printed here. And the other words, children need boundaries and respond well to. No one feels secure if they are flying blind, and they always will crash with flying blind. Next one, Jess. I think I okay. Missed. Yeah, no, you 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 conflate. Oh, I see what happened. I got yeah. Pr- yeah no, you hit number four again because okay. I didn't print right. To, stri- to strike one in any way, yeah. To make him kneel in a painful position. In I other words, he's happens. saying don't do that. Yeah. To pull his ears, he's saying don't do nope. that. Got it. And others, similar punishments must be absolutely avoided. Yeah. John Bosco says the law forbids them, and they greatly irritate the boys. Yep. And lower the reputation of the educator. Yeah, you're not going to. Yeah, it doesn't it's, get. It's, doesn't it's, do any it's good. the old saying. Yeah. Uh, you're gonna you're gonna track more flies with honey than with vinegar. That's yep. That's that's what he said right yep. there. Saint Francis de Sales, Introduction to Devout Life, Number f- yeah. uh, Six. Five, five. Uh, you, you five. I got six in front of me. Go okay. ahead, Jess. The educator must see that the laws of discipline and the rewards and punishments entailed are made known to the pupil so that no one can make the excuse that he did not know what was commanded mm. or forbidden. Got it. In other words, children need boundaries of course. and respond well to them. No one feels secure if they're flying blind and, and they'll always crash. I'll give an example of that real quickly. A friend of mine, when I was in school, his parents could care less what time he would actually have to come back wow. to the house. And everybody else was told, hey, you got to be back by this specific time or you're in trouble. And he'll never, I'll never remember. I remember the kid saying it, that he realizes my parents don't care. And he got it. Your parents care enough to tell you you need to be back mm-hmm. at this time. Boundaries. All right, number six, the exacting. When it is a matter of duty, Firm in the pursuit of good, courageous in, pre- in preventing evil, but always gentle and prudent. I assure you, real success can only come from patience. Boy, that's a tough one, patience. Go ahead, Jess. Yeah, and then it says, it says impatience merely disgusts the pupils and spreads discontent among the best of mm-hmm. them. Long experience has taught me that patience is the only remedy for even the worst cases of disobedience and irresponsiveness among boys. Sometimes after making many patient efforts without obtaining success, I deemed it necessary to resort to severe measures. Yet these never achieved anything, and in the end, I always found that charity finally triumphed where severity had met with, with failure. Charity is the cure-all, though it may be slow in effecting its cure. Well said. Number And number seven. Hit it, Jess. To be real fathers in dealing with the young, we must not allow the shadow of anger to darken our countenance. Mm -hmm. If at times we are taken unawares, let the bright serenity of our minds immediately disperse the clouds of impatience. Self-control must rule our whole being, our mind, our heart, our lips. When someone is at fault, arouse sympathy in your heart and entertain hope in your mind for him. Then you will correct him with profit. In certain difficult moments, a humble prayer to God is much more useful than a violent outburst of anger. Your pupils will certainly draw no profit from their impatience, and you will not be edifying anyone who may observe you. Terry? Jesse, I want to mention all of these points are also applied to us adults in dealing with individual people. The Hidden Power of Kindness by Father Lavosik's book talks about this and how, you know, by being by fighting anger with anger, nothing gets done. It all explodes. 
But when someone is upset, you lower your voice, call them by name, and ask a question. This is really good people skills that Don Bosco is talking about, not just for, for the students, but for adults in our own life. So I would say take advantage of listening to this saint when it comes to the skill set of your children. Yeah, and, and, and the Bible also talks a lot about the disciplining of children as well. Mm-hmm. Proverbs. Uh, yeah, a lot, lot of, lot of uh, good information when it comes to training your children. Here's one, Hebrews twelve seven. Mm-hmm. Endure hardship as a discipline. God is treating you as sons. For what son is not disciplined by his father? Here's another one. Uh, Colossians three twenty one. Fathers, do not embitter your children, or they will become discouraged. Ephesians 6, 4. Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and the instruction of the Lord. Yeah, uh, Terry, it's just, it's, Proverbs is just chock full. Here's another one. Proverbs 22, 6. Train a child in the way he should go, and when he is old... He will not turn from it. Mm-hmm. Folly is bound up in the heart of a child, but the rod of discipline will drive it far from him. Proverbs twenty three thirteen, Do not withhold discipline from a child. If you punish him with the rod, he will not die. Punish him with the rod and save his soul from death. So, uh, again, uh, the, the punishment... And, and there are there are popes that have talked about uh, corporal punishment that parents are allowed to corporally punish their children. Sure. It has to be. You, here's a couple of rules. You anger. can't do you can't do it in anger. Nope. The Bible says, uh, "Be angry, but sin not." Exactly. You can't discipline a child in anger because you will have no temperance. In order to discipline, you need temperance. When you have the rage of anger, you have no temperance. So don't touch your kids in any way, shape, or form when you're angry. Terry. Hey man, don't forget, folks, tomorrow we've got a priest from Nigeria who was captured by Boko Haram, and he talks about his escape. Wow. Won't want to miss that. Jesse, what state should we be living in, brother? Let's live in the state of sanctifying grace with a rosary in our hand. Let's uh, read our Bibles every day. Let's go to Mass as often as possible. Let's become holy or die trying. And let's remember that life is short and eternity is forever. Terry. Amen. And don't forget Our Lady of Fatima. You know what I'm going to say. Souls are going to hell because no one is there to pray and make sacrifices. We can all participate in that, what Our Lady called us to do. Be part of the solution rather than the problem. Be a saint. What else is there? Mm-hmm. May God richly bless you and your family. Stay with us next. The Night of Columbus Show.